Welcome to Leading the Next Generation with Tim Elmore. I am your co-host, Andrew McPeak, and our mission here at Growing Leaders is to empower the emerging generations with skills to lead in real life. And Tim, today, I think we have a very important conversation about the difference between fitting in and belonging, especially inside of the classroom. Andrew, I've never heard anybody talk about this. I'm sure they have, but I I feel like this is going to be an important conversation because it's so nuanced. Yeah. You know, you think fitting in and belonging, kind of the same thing, but it isn't. And sometimes we who lead and coach and teach a classroom of students might think we're helping everybody belong, but really it's, it's not happening. As much. Absolutely, yeah, and that's the that's the nuance of the conversation. Is it's not always something we did. It might just be something we're not um, creating the opportunity to let it happen, and that's yeah. what we're going to talk about today. So I think everybody listening would agree. We all, as human beings, want to belong to something. We something bigger than us, a team, a group, a community, a family. In fact, I think sometimes we recreate. Um, horribly unhealthy family when we don't have a good functioning family, gangs and so forth. So we want to talk about what is it in us that longs to belong, and yet sometimes we settle for um, just just fitting in. Andrew, I um, read a story in the New York Times years ago. I've kind of paraphrased it and and jotted it down, but it's such a great picture of our innate need, even from childhood, as human beings, to just want to belong to something, yeah. especially when we don't. So some years ago, the New York Times uh, printed a human interest story. It was in the back page of the paper, not the front page. But um, it was simply called, uh, We All Want to Belong. Uh, the article told about a small boy who was riding on a downtown bus in Manhattan. Um, there he sat, huddled close to a lady in a gray suit. Um, naturally, everybody thought he belonged to her. So it was a little wonder uh, when he rubbed his dirty shoes against the woman sitting on the other side of him. Uh, she said to the lady in the gray suit, pardon me, but would you please ta- make your little boy take his feet off, off the seat? His shoes are getting my, my dress dirty. Well, the woman in gray blushed. Then giving the boy a little shove, she said, he's not my boy. I never saw him before. Well, the lad squirmed uneasily. He was such a tiny little guy, his feet dangling off the seat. He lowered his heads and tried desperately to hold back a sob. I'm sorry I got your dress dirty, he said to the woman. I didn't mean to. Oh, that's all right, she answered, a little embarrassed. And then, since his eyes were still fastened upon her, she added, are are you going somewhere? Alone? Yes, he nodded. I always go alone. There isn't anybody to go with me. I don't have any money, and I don't have any mom or dad. They're both dead. I live with Aunt Clara, but she says Aunt Mildred ought to take care of me part of the time. So when she gets tired of me and wants me to go someplace, she sends me over to stay with Aunt Mildred. Oh, said the woman, are you on your way to Aunt Mildred's now? Yes, the boy continued, but sometimes Aunt Mildred isn't home. I sure hope she's there today because it looks like it's going to rain and I don't want to be out in the street when it rains. Well, the woman felt a little lump in her throat as she said, you're a very little boy to be shifted around like this. Oh, I don't mind, he said. I never get lost, but I do get lonesome sometimes. So when I see someone that I think I would like to belong to, I sit real close and snuggle up and pretend I really do belong to them. I was playing that I belonged to this other lady when I got your dress dirty. I forgot about my feet. Well, the woman 
put her arms around this little fella and snuggled him up so close. It almost hurt. He wanted to belong to someone, and deep in her heart, she wished at that point he belonged to her. And I believe, Andrew, this little boy is just a picture. We wouldn't do anything like that as adults, but we are just designed to be social creatures yeah. who want to be a part of something. And sometimes, like we said, we just let them fit in yeah. instead of really belong. Yeah, we get okay with the classroom just kind of yeah. going along as it is. And we'll focus on the classroom today, uh, but belonging is obviously yeah. an innate human need that yeah. uh, we all need in all situations. But if you can imagine with me being uh, a teacher, right, and um, many of you are listening are teachers, right? And you've probably had something like this happen in your classroom, whether this year or uh, years previous. You know you work really hard to uh, create an engaging lesson and to make it really fun and to create it uh, to create um, interesting assignments mm-hmm. and group projects. And you think it's going really well, and, and then something happens, right? Yeah. Um, something that stands out that makes you kind of question uh, how yeah. things are really yeah. going. You know, a student will say something harsh like, "I hate this class," yeah. right? And you're like, "Where did that come from? Yeah. I'm working so yeah. hard here." Or a parent, a parent will contact you and say uh, their child is really struggling with anxiety before they show up to class or log into class in the case yeah. of this year, and you wonder what's going on. You've been working so hard and all of those things. I really believe the problem is not necessarily something you've done, but instead it might be something your students are just missing, not yeah. feeling, uh, that sense of belonging. I think that's the truth. Maybe answer. something we didn't do, just unknowingly. Absolutely. Yeah. Or maybe something that you expected they would get yeah. somewhere yeah. else, but they didn't. And so yeah. now they're, they're hoping that they get it in the classroom. And I believe it's up to us, the leader. Yeah, the teacher, the coach, the leader to, to get it right. So, Andrew, I'm fascinated, as you are, about the research that's being done even currently on this difference between creating this belonging and creating this, well, just try to blend in, fit in, and you have to adapt to all kinds of places. So Brene Brown's a great example. Many people that are listening have uh, watched a video or read a book by Brene Brown. Um, she talks about this research, and she says this, A deep sense of love and belonging is an irreducible need in all people, including the students you lead. We are biologically, cognitively, physically, and spiritually wired to love, to be loved, and to belong. And when those needs are not met, we don't function as we were meant to. We break, we fall apart, we numb, we may say things like, I hate this class, and we hurt others when we get sick. Hurting people tend to hurt people. So the truth. I, I, I'm loving this research. And Andrew, I'd like to flip-flop this today. I'd like you to kind of lead this conversation. I'll, I'll kind of volley back with you, but I, I'd love for you to kind of walk us through what you've dug up and, and what we need to know. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, like I said, the reason I think this is happening is just that missing belonging. I would say that often when we think we're creating a space where students can feel a sense of belonging in our classroom. We are accidentally, I think, encouraging isolation and even artificial behavior. So we're going to talk about how do we not do that and begin to sort of right the ship more or less. So um, obviously, Brene Brown said it so well. We have this innate sense of of belonging, and yet often when we speak to teachers, and maybe this has been the experience of a lot of you who are listening, there seems to be an increasing number of students who feel isolated instead of included when it comes to the classroom. Classroom. And the reason is simple. It's really hard to build relationships, let alone belonging, yeah. right? 
uh, in a virtual classroom or a hybrid classroom. I mean, it's hard in a normal classroom. Yeah. You got all of these, the agenda and the curriculum and all of those things. How are you supposed to connect with your students when they're all on a screen? Yeah. How are you supposed to connect with your students when uh, some are in front of you in the hybrid classroom and others are, are needing you, you know, uh, yeah. on the internet? Yeah. That's a really hard thing that I think all of us are, are navigating. And so I don't want to overcomplicate it, but instead what I, instead what I want to do is try and make it simple. Yeah. What are some simple, practical ways yeah. uh, that we can begin to sort of write this ship? Yeah. So fortunately for us, ladies and gentlemen, there is a framework to lean on that can provide direction as we try to create a healthy environment for the natural development of belonging in a team, in a class, in a family, wherever you find yourself. So Andrew, I'd like you to walk us through how belonging is, is really created. Okay, so yeah. talk about that. Absolutely. So I think it, uh, belonging is really created when a student is able to uh, manage themselves. And it's crucial that I use the word themselves there, and I'll talk about where, uh, why that's so important. So uh, there is a great book called The Authenticity Principle. Uh, the author of it is Ritu Basin. I think I said her name yeah, correctly, yeah. hopefully, but she wrote out in her book, The Authenticity Principle, this fantastic framework for how to balance uh, the need for authenticity, right, being our th- yeah. most authentic self, but also self-improvement, right? None yeah. of us is arguing that uh, belonging in the classroom means yeah. the kid gets to do whatever they want. That's right. Or right? say whatever they or want. Or say whatever they want. Absolutely. So uh, this framework, I think, can serve as a really great guide for us as we lead our students. Uh, so I want to talk to you about um, this sort of graph. Okay, so imagine uh, with me in your mind a continuum. Yep. Uh, it's got one, obviously, two points on either side at the very end of this continuum. Uh, on one sense, or one sense, uh, what we're trying to do is we're trying to move students from one of the two edges toward the middle. Yep. That's kind of the goal here. Okay. So neither extreme are good. Exactly. Left to itself. Okay. Exactly. So on one end is our most authentic self. Okay. Uh, Your most authentic self is an expression of your core values, your beliefs, your needs, your desires, your thoughts, emotions, traits, all those things. It's how you would behave if you didn't fear the consequences of your behavior. Okay. So it's your most truest reflection of who you are. All of us have moments with people who are around. If you're married and you have a spouse, that's probably somebody you can be your most authentic self with. And you can just say, here's what's on my mind. You know, I'm not going to filter anything that comes out of my mouth because you know (laughs) me, right? right? And so you're able to be your most authentic self. Uh, This can be a really great thing, but you know that it's not necessarily a good decision for us to just blurt everything out in every circumstance. So the most authentic self, that's why it's at one end of that continuum. On the other end of the continuum is what we would call the performing self. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is the opposite of your yeah. authentic self. This is who you are when you feel like you don't have a choice but to conform or to yeah. mask certain yeah. aspects of who you are. Uh, it's the carefully constructed persona that you project to protect against what you fear will happen when you're not yourself. Yeah, it's blending in, it's fitting in, uh, but it's all a performance trap in many ways because eventually you're exhausted doing this little show to so that everybody likes me just gets old. And there's some people listening right now go, I think that's been my life. Absolutely. But I, I love the fact that you're bringing these two together. Clear authenticity and no guardrails at all would people go, people would go, you're just selfish. You're just, you yeah. know, but yet on the other side, I don't think we've got a, a, a genuine human being that's that's energized by life. So yeah. meeting in the middle is key. Yeah. And in, in her book, she really talks about how uh, often what happens is when we try and um, 
corral students yeah. in a situation like the classroom, what we're really doing is we're pushing them towards that performing self. Yeah. They think, oh, it's not safe to be me <laughs> yeah. here. I have to be what you think I yeah. should be, right? Yeah. But what she suggests is that there's actually an answer in the middle here. Yeah. Um, and, and I know that's true of so many things, but there really is here. She calls it the adapted self. That's okay. the point in the middle that we Good. want to move them towards. Yeah. So the adapted self is is that middle ground where you are yourself, you don't feel like you're faking anything, Yes. and yet you've realized I'm a part of something bigger, so I need to play off of those around me. Absolutely. Is that accurate? Yes, okay, absolutely. Good, good. Love So it. the adapted self is who you are when you make a choice to change an aspect of your behavior in order to meet your own needs or meet the needs of others. So when you adapt, you're not driven by fear. Remember, that's what yeah, the performing yeah. self is driven by, is right. fear of fitting in. Uh, instead, you're driven by an authentic desire to change your own behavior. Because you're making that choice willingly, it actually feels good to ad adjust that, right? So that's some of the nuance here, and there really is truly nuance. Uh, we are, I think, often tempted to believe that our most authentic self is the part of us that should ideally always be the yeah. part of us that's on display, but that's not <laughs> actually the case, yeah. Yeah. especially in a situation like a classroom where there's so many selves. Yeah. If we're all just you know, uh, screaming out whatever we're thinking, then it, we're not going to get anywhere together, right? Yeah. Um, and so... What's important is we need to create a situation or environment where students can make the decision to self-regulate and begin to head towards this adapted self. Do you mind if I illustrate? I just had Please. a thought come to my mind. So I think everybody listening goes, yeah, that totally makes sense. But isn't it true as we mature, as students are maturing through their adolescent years, they're figuring this out. They have to figure it out. Absolutely. I think there's many that are just, that have certain temperaments that say, I am going to be myself, you know, and, and they dig their heels in, not realizing how off-putting that might be to the very people they want to be close to. So you've got to meet in the middle. I'm thinking of Mark Buchanan, who um, is an acquaintance I made in an event years ago, and he was going to officiate a wedding. Okay. And so he was talking over the wedding vows that the groom and bride were going to make, and both of them insisted, we both want to say in our vows, I want to be true to myself. And he smiled and said... I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty sure you don't want to say that. And of course, <laughs> they couldn't imagine why. Yeah. And he saw the very thing we're, we're describing. Yeah. He's so he went on to say, okay, if you said, is that your selfish self? Is yeah. that your I demand my way self? Is that I want this? And I, you know, and of course, that was when they began to see in their early twenties. Oh, I guess there is another side. But they just needed mat to mature. They needed a season. Yeah. And Mark just found a, a kind of a fun. I don't know, sarcastic way to say, I'm pretty sure you don't want to just be yourself. There's a way to uh, be a part of a larger community. Absolutely. Yeah. This is so, there's so much truth here, I feel like. And it's for us adults too, right? So think about you as a teacher. Sometimes you have to temper your reaction to yeah. a very frustrating student. That's right. Right? Yep. That's you being your adapted self, knowing <laughs> uh, releasing all of my anger in this moment is not going to yeah, solve this problem. Right. A parent often has to hold on to opinions until they know their yeah. children are ready to understand the nuance mm -hmm. of that opinion. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, my nine-year-old is not ready for that yeah. you know, yeah. situation. Uh, and sometimes a student must say no to their own wishes or their own instincts so that a classmate might get a yeah. chance to speak or lead a project or share an opinion, right? Uh, when a student decides to restrict themselves for the sake of somebody else, that's a really great example of, of what this could look no like. No doubt. So um, in other words, and we've probably made the case 
pretty strongly at this point, our most authentic self isn't always our best self for yeah. every circumstance. Uh, so for us to understand how to do this, the trick is to help our students find their, uh, to finding their adapted self, um, is to give them the opportunity to make a choice to adapt their own self. Yeah. And this is why life skills are so much a part of this, yeah. right? Because it is it does truly come down to self-management. As long as restrictions, whether they're spoken or unspoken, are placed on the student themselves, the result is going to be the performance, not the adapted yeah. self. Yeah. So the decision to adapt has to be made from the desire of the student to improve, not from fear of what might happen if yes. they don't. The motivation that needs to be good. In fact, you know what's coming to my mind is the habitude trade-offs. Everything's a trade-off. Yes. So I want to be myself and even be selfish. Let's face it, we all do, even as adults. But we realize that's not going to get us to the goal that we all want to get to, so it's a trade-off. And you say, it's more important for me to, to belong to a larger community that's healthy and life-giving than to demand my way. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Haven't we learned that in our marriages just a couple of times <laughs> yes, over the years? just a couple of Didn't times. Didn't marriage reveal how selfish you were? I sure did to me. Oh, wholeheartedly. And I, I got married I was... at 22, so yeah, I, yeah. it really... Yeah, yes. that was happening a lot. Yeah, that's right. Anyway, I'm sorry. Keep no, going. no, this Proceed. is great. So uh, here's where I want to go. We're kind of like points made on this. Let's yeah. talk about what do we do as a yes. result of this. And I want to give you a few ideas. It is important, though, that I think the first thing we say is the most important thing is that we're building life skills in the next generation. So when I think it's particularly about social and emotional learning skills, which is the hot topic of today, uh, but the reason those are so important connected to this is think about this. A student who had developed some internal life skills associated with self-awareness, yes, yeah. with social awareness, with relationship building skills, those kinds of things. If they have those skills developed, they're going to be able to recognize the mm -hmm. need for adjustments mm -hmm. and make those adjustments themselves. Yep. It, it sort of paves the way for them to self-regulate and find their adapted self in this situation. This is why SEL is so important to this. It is. So I want you to lead us in a handful of ideas. If you're a teacher listening uh, this means you're going to have to be instructive in the area of social and emotional learning. This is not reading, writing, arithmetic. I understand we need that, but this is you taking some time to share some tips that are going to build out this very nugget that we're talking about today. Absolutely. So do you want to walk us through these ideas? Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. So along with those SEL skills we want to build, here's just a few ideas. I just got four of different ways that you can help your students begin to find their adapted self in the classroom. Number one, take time to greet each of your students personally, yep. even in the virtual classroom. And I know this is going to take extra time, yeah. but it's so important. You can use a technique like highs and lows. I love this one, where students share a good thing and a hard thing from their last week or maybe the weekend yeah. or whatever yeah. it was. Uh, these kinds of check-ins can be a great way uh, for your students to start to feel more comfortable in the classroom. They're also gaining perspective from the other students in the classroom and recognizing the emotional needs of their classmates, yeah. right? You're creating opportunity for them to go, oh, I see Jonathan's in this situation. Yeah. I might That might taper how I react to Jonathan later when we're doing a group project. Yeah, I love this. This is a win-win-win. Absolutely. Uh, and, and the third win, of course, is I think that you're communicating to your students, I care about your personal life. When you do what were your highs, what were your lows, that's not math. Yes. That's life. Yes. So. All right, number two. 
incorporate group work into your classes as often as you can. I know group work takes yeah. a little more work, That's right. but it is very, very, very worth it. Regularly working in groups can help uh, build student-to-student yeah. relationships and create the opportunity for empathy, understanding, and inclusion to take place. Uh, make part of the group assignment. I love this. Your additional assignment on top of your group assignment is to assess how well did our group work together, right? And that could be part of the grade. Is yeah. Were you able to work as a team? Uh, but that sort of evaluation teaches the students that it's just as important how you interact with the, with one another as it is that you learn the thing I'm trying to get you to yeah. learn. I think yeah. it's an important thing to, to teach good. in the classroom. Spot on. Uh, number three, here's a great one. Uh, have students create shout-outs or what's often called gratitude bombs. Uh, <laughs> I so love that. This is where you pick a student and you celebrate them like crazy. Yeah. Uh, you can either write letters and send them all to their house, uh, or you can all make a video on your phone and all of a sudden they get 20 videos sent at them. Yeah. Uh, but it can be for a peer or perhaps for another teacher. But what you're doing is you're challenging them to realize the contribution that other people are making into their own personal life and then Learn, teaching them the value of communicating your gratitude. Yeah. It's a skill, right? Yeah. Um, and so I love this. this. is sort of like a dual thing of recognizing the input of others and learning how to communicate your emotions and all of those things that are so important. Yeah, it's so true. You know, another habitude is hitting me. Does that shock you? Not so much. Uh, so I'm going to share it real quick. Please. Um, this is a baseball story, but it's called the steel sign. That's the habitude, the steel sign. Uh, and it's in Habitudes for Young Professionals. Mm-hmm. So when Reggie Jackson, remember Reggie, Mr. October, was playing early in his career for the Baltimore Orioles before he played for the A's and the Yankees, he was a young athlete, Just, but he was great. I mean, he was great from the beginning. He, um, either on a, a base hit or a walk, he was on first base, and he wanted to steal second. Hmm. But Earl Weaver, his manager for the Orioles, had a rule back then saying you can't steal second without a signal from the dugout. Wait for my signal. Well, Reggie thought on first base, he didn't know how fast I am. Yeah. You know? And he thought about all these reasons why he could steal second and really help the team. So without waiting for a signal, he gets a good lead. And when the pitch is thrown, he darts for second base, slides in safe. Well, he gets up brushing himself off, feeling very vindicated for the base he had just stolen. And he thought, well, I just justified my, my move. I yeah. stole second. Between innings, he goes back in the dugout to get his mitt, and Earl Weaver, his manager, calls him up. Hey, Reggie, get over here. He says, Reggie, do you know why I didn't you know, give you a signal to steal second base? He said, because you didn't know how fast I was. He said, no, that wasn't it. I knew exactly how fast you were. He said, let me tell you real quick. When you stole second, you opened up first base, allowing the the team to intentionally walk Lee May, our best power hitter outside of you, taking the bat right out of his hands. The next hitter in our lineup wasn't especially strong against this pitcher, which forced me to go to the bench much much faster than I wanted to go to the bench, taking him out of my dugout and into the game. Next time, Reggie, wait for the signal. And all it was is a picture of a young, talented athlete thinking he had the bigger picture, but really it was a selfish picture. I know how Mm. fast I am. So listeners, 
you might know how fast you are. Your students may think, I'm really fast, but there's a, there's a bigger picture, and that's yeah. really what you're Other things about. are at play, and you're, yes. what you're doing is helping them realize the other that's things right. that are at yeah. play. I love that. Good. All right, so we've done three. Let's go on to the fourth one. Fourth and final, celebrate exceptional student work with the wider community. Mm. Uh, this one's really important. Recognize your students in front of as many people as you can. This is about uh, helping them uh, see or helping them get the opportunity to see the influence that they might have on a wider community, uh, especially when they display well-developed life skills like teamwork, perspective, or empathy. So we're not celebrating an A in class. Yeah, yeah. We're celebrating the conduct with which mm, they got that grade um, and saying, hey, I just want to recognize uh, this young person because of how they handled themselves yeah, in that complicated yeah. situation or that really difficult thing. Uh, I think that can be a really great way to help s- sort of start expanding our horizons. Yeah. And really, this is all about helping them see, oh, I'm recognizing how I am relating to the world around me so that I can start making some of those self-adjustments, get to my adapted self, and feel more like I belong to this yes. school. I belong yeah. to this classroom. I belong to this student body. I belong. Um, and, and that's really the path, I think, the best path to get there. I do too. Andrew, this has been so practical, relevant, helpful. Uh, bottom line is um, we, we really need to uh, see past the nuances and get past just fitting in, and we've got order in the classroom, to really creating a sense of camaraderie. Absolutely. Which I think, listeners, isn't that what we all want? So, um, so Andrew, if you don't mind, I'd love to just read something that Please I do. picked up. I haven't looked at this story for a long time, but I felt like it was such a suitable close to this whole idea of, of, of belonging. Uh, this is a little piece called When Kevin Won. Okay. So if you had to choose just one word to describe Kevin, it might have been the word behind. He, yeah. he wasn't as fast as the other kids when he ran the track. He didn't learn his ABCs as fast as the other kids did. All the academic courses, he was just a little behind. Yeah. But he was a great kid. He just, you know, everybody knew he's just a little bit behind. So, but Kevin had a special rapport with people. His smile was brighter than the sun in Jude, and his heart was bigger than the mountain sky. And Kevin's enthusiasm for life was quite contagious. So when he discovered that the pastor at his church, Randy, was putting together a boys' basketball team, his mother could only respond to him, yes, you can join the team. Well, basketball became the center of Kevin's life. At practice, he worked so hard you thought he was preparing for the NBA. Um, Kevin and his whole team actually truly loved basketball. But as you well know, just loving the game doesn't help you win. (laughs) More balls fell out of the basket than into it, and the boys lost every single game that season by very large margins, Mm. except for one game. Uh, The night it snowed, the other team couldn't make it to the the gym. (laughs) So at the end of the season, the boys played in the league tournament, and as the last place team, they drew the very unfortunate spot of playing against the first place team, the tall, undefeated first place team. You know how that goes. Yeah. So the game went pretty much as expected, and near the middle of the fourth quarter, Kevin's team stood 30 points behind. But it was at that point that one of Kevin's teammates called timeout. As he came to the side, Coach Randy couldn't imagine why time... He's ready to get this thing over with. Let's yeah. go get an ice cream cone, you know? Uh, Coach, said the boy, um, and then he went on. This is our last game. Good prediction. <laughs> yeah. I'm feeling like it might be the yeah, end. Yeah, yeah. And he said, I know that Kevin has played in every game, but he's never made a basket. Coach, I think we should let Kevin make a basket. 
Well, with the game completely out of reach, the idea seemed reasonable, so plans were made. Every time Kevin's team had the ball, Kevin was to stand at a special spot near the free throw line, and they would give him the ball. Well, Kevin skipped extra high as he went back out into the basketball court. Well, his first shot bounced around the rim, but missed. Number 17 from the other team swiped the ball, took it down court, and scored another two points. As soon as Kevin's team had the ball again, though, they pass it to Kevin, and he stood obediently in his place, and he missed again. This pattern continued. Number 17, rebounding the ball, taking it down court, fast break, another two points, until finally number 17 grew wise. He grabbed one of the rebounds, and instead of running the ball down court, he threw the ball back to Kevin, who shot and missed again. (laughs) Soon all the players were circling Kevin, throwing the ball to him and clapping for him. It took the spectators just a little longer to figure out what was going on, but little by little, people started to figure out what was happening, and, and they started clapping their hands. The whole gymnasium thundered with clapping and chanting, Kevin, 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 and Kevin just kept shooting. Coach Randy realized the game must be over by this point. He looked up at the clock, which was frozen with 46 seconds left. The referees even stood by the scoring table cheering, and clapping, like everybody else. The whole world, it seemed, was stopped waiting and wanting for Kevin. And finally, after an infinite amount of tries, infinite amount of tries, the ball took one miraculous accidental bounce, I'm sure, and went in. Yeah. Kevin's arms shot high into the air as he shouted, I won! I won! Well, the clock ticked off the last few seconds, and the first-place team remained undefeated. But on that evening, everyone left the game feeling like they'd won. Mm. To me, that's just a picture of seeing past scores, teachers, did you hear me? Scores, <laughs> and seeing these guys belong. Yeah, These kids belong. And I feel like that's part of our job. I know it's... It's scores and GPAs and everything else, but in the essence of life, isn't it? We also learned how to not just fit in, but to really belong. I love that. Thank you so much, Tim. Well, one of the things that we talked about in, in how to create belonging is that students have to start learning to develop and adjust uh, their own selves, right? If they cannot lead themselves, it's going to be very difficult for them to feel like they're really belonging and, and engaging with one another well in the classroom. And the way that we do that, and we talked about it, SEL skills. If you are looking for a way to start having conversations uh, about these skills that are so, so mm-hmm. essential to success now in the classroom, but also for their life in the future, uh, may we suggest to you Habitudes. We have a great course called Habitudes for Social and Emotional Learning, which touches on all of these skills that we've been talking about today, how to actually develop them. And we actually use images, stories, uh, very similar to the stories that you told today, uh, Tim, and metaphors in order to communicate these really important life skills. And what's really great is students really enjoy having these conversations because of the way we do it. So if you want to find out more about Habitudes for Social and Emotional Learning, go on over to growingleaders.com 
slash S-E-L, growingleaders.com slash S-E-L, and you can actually try it out for free. So I'd love for you to head on over there and check it out. Well, as always, if you would rate this podcast, uh, give us five stars on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast that gets the word out about uh, what we're doing. Uh, you can also share this podcast with a friend. If you found it helpful, pass it along to somebody that you know. If you want to connect with us online, we're at Growing Leaders and at Tim Elmore pretty much everywhere you are. We love connecting with you there. And then finally, if you've got ideas for this podcast, things you want us to talk about, um, different people maybe that we should interview, shoot us an email. It's podcast at growingleaders.com. We love getting those from you. Well, Tim, thank you so much for leading us today. Thank you today. Great insights. You bet. Thank you. And thank you guys so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Woo!